Oh, hi. Good morning. This is Eli. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. It's uh, morning time. It's dark outside. And I'm uh, traveling north, heading towards uh, Healdsburg, going to uh, Blossom Blast today. We're uh, getting closer with the furnace in Richmond. I uh, welded on the final pieces of Unistrut uh, to hold on all the electrical boxes and run pipes across. Uh, so we have uh, all that stuff <coughs> laid out, ready to run the electric, uh, all those, the computers, the wires run those systems all figured out. Uh, you know, I'm pretty proud of that one. Uh, it's good. It's good build. Uh, I'm doing it with a lot of what's there, but uh, we've got the right things there, and it's uh, it's looking really good. You know, when you're doing a project, you start to get towards the end, and it starts to look really good. It's one of those I kind of enjoy that part. I get it with the electricians and their fancy layout looks. Looks so good. Um, so that's good. That's good. Uh, gonna go teach a class tonight after chandelier production. I'll be uh, in San Francisco teaching a class about glass blowing. I've been working on bottles, which is kind of like an advanced form as you get past like the cup, then getting into the bottle shape where uh, you're able to pull on a thin neck and then keeping a neck on center and opening and straightening a neck. So um, I'm looking forward to to that class, I'm going to be teaching another set of like a weekend workshop class in Palo Alto this weekend. Uh, um, those are more of like uh, you know a couple hours each day, Saturday, Sunday, six hours. That um, people come and it's kind of an immersion workshop class get some objects and it's hands-on but it's also uh, uh, it's also um, more um, Sorry, I'm just going through the fast track uh, commuter lanes here and Richmond San Rafael Bridge here. 
is a little to, you know the bottleneck they like spread you out and then they cram you all back together a little soon so sorry i got a little distracted but the weekend workshop is like is a little more getting objects rather than really learning specific techniques i'm less focused on like this is exactly the way the like the precise way to blow something and more like what do you want me to make for you or help you make uh, sort of thing. There's a lot of this interest in this in glass blowing. Um, this has been a more common employment in the last few years of like people want to learn or people want to come in for a weekend workshop and kind of learn but get some objects they want to they want to learn about it um but they're not they're not going to be like hobby glass blowers even they just want to do it once and, and see about it where i think 20 years ago the classes i was teaching there were still people that just were it was kind of a hobby but they were like going to be getting they were going to be doing it somewhat regularly and now there's a lot of like um, kind of hayride experience, which is great. Those are really fun too because you get all sorts of different people involved. And then in the evenings on the weekend, I'm going to be doing some cold works, grinding and polishing of glass. And that's really something I really want to talk about with you. It's cold working, grinding and polishing. So we got to do that. I also need to talk to you about chocolate cake. I feel like I really to tell you how to make a chocolate cake. Uh, an emotional chocolate cake it helps with your emotions. Being an emotional person, uh, it's, good to, it's good to put cake on it. But today, I think I'm going to talk about flame working. And we're going to talk about, I think I could just, we can make a bead um, on a mandrel. And I think that will explain a lot about glass on the torch. So flame working is um, what we refer to when we're working glass over a small flame, over a torch. And the torches generally now are always going to be oxygen and propane. Um, you could have an oxygen and acetylene torch, but it'd be a little dirtier and it's a little tricky. So I don't, I don't know anybody that does an oxygen acetylene uh, in America that does an oxygen acetylene flame working technique. You could also potentially do natural gas, but you'd have to pipe it in and you'd have to ramp up your PSI for the natural gas, and so that's also tricky to do. You have to have a compressor for your gas, and so that's pretty uncommon. And you could have a, a Venturi burner system, and a Venturi is an air system that draws air in through the flow of another. It's like you're drawing air through the flow of another air or liquid. In this case, you would be um, using the propane flow to draw in air. And that's pretty uncommon for 
flame murky because it just doesn't get quite hot enough. Uh, it doesn't get quite as hot. It's hot enough to do things, but um, because you can use oxygen and make the torch quite a bit hotter. There are also some torches that run on compressed air, but those are also less common. But they do, they still exist, uh, and they work great. But generally, you're going to have an oxygen and a propane line. And you would have a you know the tall green tank, have a regulator on it, and lines that run over to your bench. A green and red line is generally this kind of standard um, welding line. And the, those gas lines are uh, nitrile coated lines on the inside. If you the the red and the green are really just a color coding. They're made of nitrile also, but they're color-coded on the outside. Then there's a braided core that gives it structure, and then on the inside is the black nitrile tube that's actually the important, uh, the important stuff. And those ones are the same. They're rated for, they say, use this one for oxygen, use that one for gas, but they're the same, made of the same material. And then the fittings, the compression fittings that are put on the end, uh, oxygen has a... Uh, a threaded in the righty tighty lefty loosey standard thread fitting, um, and gas is reverse. They reverse thread it so that you can't get a switcheroo on it. So you can't thread your gas into your oxygen um, because also if you have gas and oxygen in a line together and there's ignition, it can be explosive. You can't, it's harder to have the gas explode inside of a line without oxygen. You need to introduce some air in there. Um, and so you have to keep your oxygen lines free of fuel. You don't want oil or other gas in there because if you do get them mixed together and there is a source of ignition, then it can it'll it'll go kablooey. Where if you were to fill like if you fill say you get a soda pop can and you fill it with propane and then you light it, it will fill it with propane gas um, and then light it. It will shoot the gas out in a kind of very exciting <laughs> action where it will be. You know, it can shoot itself across the room with the force of the gas leaving as it ignites right at the surface of that soda pop can at the entrance. But if you put oxygen and propane inside there and then ignite it, it will just ignite inside the can and it will blow up. It will go kerbang! One big loud bang and it will blow the can apart and rip it apart. And it's also it's quite dangerous. Um, both of them are quite dangerous. And the propane will ignite, but it needs a, a, an oxygen source to burn. It can't just burn inside the tube. So if you to mix them together inside the tube, um, then it can be dangerous. Um, part of why charging a battery inside an enclosed space can be dangerous, because 
when you charge a battery, a lead acid battery, you're producing on one side, one electrode is producing as off-gassing oxygen, the other is off-gassing hydrogen. And that is hydrogen would be, in this case, comparable to propane. It's a very volatile gas. And if you had them both together in an enclosed space, then you could have a Kerblui. Um, no problem. No problem. Just Kerblui. But you could also, you can separate them and you can take, you can harvest those gases. You can also use them in your old timey car and um, run the hydrogen into your carburetor to give yourself a boost um, off of, uh, from your like there's a there's a way that you can have a salt water tank that your alternator is running a little little electrodes in and it will off gas hydrogen and oxygen and you generally to be safe you just dump the hydrogen into the carburetor and you let the oxygen go but I've seen a setup where they run both the hydrogen and oxygen into the carburetor, which is, gives it more of a boost. It's just more explosive and way more dangerous. But honestly, I mean, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about craft. We're talking about danger. And that's the stuff we love. I met this guy in Tacoma in the mid-2000s, an enormous man named Tiny with a 1970s Chevy truck that he had outfitted with this really beautiful plexiglass system of um, harvesting oxygen and hydrogen with off in salt water bath with electrode plates so like a two inch by three inch pieces of metal inside kind of play aluminum um, because it really does does work good you have to clean them maybe they were stainless though um so fuel fuel and oxygen knowing about them and what you get it into so that you can trust yourself with it and know that you're okay around it and you know how to put your fittings together and you know what's what is important uh, so knowing about people like Tiny that do incredibly dangerous things in their truck and they drive around town with this thing that occasionally blows up and it's hilarious to him um and that, you know, it's possible, but you don't have to do that kind of stuff because you have a red line and a green line. And if you needed to replace these lines or repair these lines, you can use hose clamps and barb fittings on them. But as soon as you get into hose clamps and barb fittings, like you, you're then splicing gas line together and you could potentially use a use a line that doesn't have uh, um, the reason the the gas line is threaded reverse is so that you don't hook it up to the oxygen but if you start putting your fittings on there you have to know that you generally want to put a reverse thread fitting on your gas so that you're not plumbing in your gas the um, on your gauge the regulator coming off of the side of the gauge of the regulator uh, there's a little fitting a B fitting it's called and that B fitting is the one that um, 
changes the threads from reverse threads. It changes it from NPT to IPT, IPS, from national pipe thread to international pipe to iron pipe standard. Um, because those are going to be so iron pipe, and then it's got those are like they have on those gas ones they're like straight threads but it's a flanged fitting so that it uses a compression but against a flange rather than compression in the taper of the threads it uses a flange to push against so that you're still using a compressive force but you're not using the threads in the same way you would be using an iron pipe um and so, that's right, it's I IPT, International Pipe Thread, or National Pipe Thread. Um, so, getting into the weeds here, sorry. It's, it's early. Um, international Pipe Thread, National Pipe Thread. We got gas line, we got oxygen line. We're just trying to make a beef. We're just trying to get our torch fired up. But um, we want to get our regulators onto our tanks. We want to make sure those are tightly sealed onto our oxygen and our propane. And we should do a gas. We should do a leak test. So we're going to put on our regulators onto our oxygen and our propane, and we're going to make sure those are chained down and they're not just next to each other. Even though most people keep them next to each other, but if you can keep them next to each other. You gotta have it on a little cart or you gotta take it somewhere and put it somewhere safe. Um, but if you really wanna be safe, kinda keep them a little distance from each other. If you're gonna leave them overnight, chain down. Uh, chain them down because you don't want them falling over and breaking the regulator off. And if there's a fire, you don't want them wiggling around. Um, and use a chain, don't use a strap, because a strap can melt in a fire. So you're going to use a chain, and then you're going to put regulators on your tanks. And then you're going to attach your hose, your nitrile hose. It's the same hose that's in gas lines, like in a fuel line in a car. Um, same stuff, it's a different... Uh, <clears throat> because those red and green are rated for that. And um, the braided cover inside there also gives it a, um, allows it to go to a higher pressure. But it's the same stuff inside a fuel line. And because a lot of the fuel lines are pressurized, now they just, it's all the same stuff. It's just black inside the gas lines in the car. But you can also use those for propane because propane and any fuel has the same kind of um, gas or propane has the same ability to kind of um, degrade plastic tubes. And so industry standard has just gone towards these nitrile. Um, so if you needed to make parts for your gas line and replace them, this would be the stuff to use. Uh, 
even though you can get stuff that it's rated for the right pressure. It's not like you're using something that's not for that. But, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's not the red color. As some people think, it might not be, it might not be the right thing for using it in a public institution. You're going to want to use the, the nice stuff with those compression fittings on there. So, we're going to run our gas, we're going to run our oxygen. Let's set our propane. Let's say we're using, we're using a, red, a Nortel Red Max torch. A wonderful industry standard torch. It's kind of on the like lower end of fanciness. Uh, and really, it's because of the way the propane and the oxygen mix. It just is like it essentially is less efficient with your oxygen. So you're going to turn your oxygen up a little higher, it'll be a little louder. Um, not much, but it'll be a little louder, a little less efficient use of oxygen. But it's not that much, and it's a really great torch. And it's kind of like, it's one of those torches that a lot of people use. It's a very standard torch, but in the fancy glassblowing industry, it's sometimes looked down upon as an inferior tool. But you can know this, it's not inferior. Um, it works great, just like you do. So a Nortel Red Max. Nortel is the manufacturer, and they make a... The, the three torches that I've used a lot of are the Minor, a Mid-Range, and a... It's a Max, a Max, I guess. The Maximum torch. And so the Red Max is this max head that's on a bench mount system. Generally, the torches are a head, and a lot of these companies do this where it's like they have a, a certain style of head that they use that then they can plumb with a, a bench mount or a hand mount or a longer mount. Like, you can get that same... Red Max torch, the Max burner head on a longer handheld handle that you might use in a hot shop just to use as a point and flame fire things. But the Red Max is a bench mount system and it has the Red Max below and then on top is mounted the Nortel minor burner. And so it's kind of like an over under 22 and a shotgun mix. Um, and you have your little tight flame for your accuracy for shooting your birds and then you have the big wide flame, the shotgun for um, buckshot. And so that torch, we're going to use that torch and um, we could just use, really, we could use the, um, for a bead, we can just use the minor burner on there. So you could either use the, that top one, or you could just use the minor burner. And that's another, like, industry bead-making kind of standard. It's just a simple, like, small. And that one is about, I believe the head is about three-eighths or a half-inch in diameter. Um, the head of the torch is a bunch of little tubes that come together. And 
it will be tiny little tubes will run the gas and then the oxygen will be running around that. Like if you were to take one large tube, like take a straw and put a bunch of tubes inside that straw, the tubes would be running the gas and the space that's around those tubes is what's running the oxygen. So that you have the gas kind of running down the middle and then the oxygen is mixing around the outside. Uh, that is a surface mix torch, which is a pretty standard kind of torch. Because if we go back to the explosive nature of having oxygen and propane in the same tube together, if you are to pre-mix things, you um, have to make it really nice and make it all work right and have all your pressures set up and lots of safety systems. Um, and so generally, most of these torches are going to be surface mix because then you can just run the propane and the oxygen and the only place they meet is right at the surface of the torch. So um, oxygen and propane, Nortel, minor burner, and You've got that mounted to your bench, and you want to clamp it down because you don't want the torch to fall in your lap. Um, you really could use, at this point, you could use a, any kind of rosebud burner, um, and that's kind of a, a, also, that's usually a welding term, a rosebud just being a small, tight grouping that has an even small flame. Um, and any kind of rosebud burner is going to work. So you're just creating a small heat zone rather than like there's a, the other kind is a single candle, like rather than multiple ports mixing together, it's a, um, single port mixing and this is an old school old school style scientific burners that would be like just the propane down the middle and the oxygen around the outside and it creates kind of like a jet pointy large a large candle the candle is the individual little port will create a pointy little like needle like flame or in these larger ones a larger um almost like the flame off of a candle where there's one single unit of flame that points and uh, the candles of a torch um, are generally in these roads it's going to be small little you know eighth inch to quarter inch to half inch sort of size and but you might encounter some of these old timey style of torches um, that were used in scientific stuff and they're like way louder, way less efficient, but really awesome looking. Um, and big pointy little jet blasters and can have a very specific tight, really tight heat. Um, let's see, there's little ones, there's little bench trucks. There's a Smith makes a tiny little torch um, that is just a single candle. 
And those are, I guess those are premix, like a cutting or a, like a brazing torch where you have a single tube is like a premix into that tube and then it shoots out a single candle of flame. Um, but these little rosebuds, this Nortel Miner, is going to be multiple candles, you know, probably like nine candles, a three by three kind of area. Maybe it's twelve. Maybe it's six year, four by four, but um, something right in there. Little tight little grouping of flames. So you want to have that clamp down on your bench. And you're making a little beat, so it's okay to sit down. Um, it's okay to stand up. It's okay to lay down, whatever you want to do. Uh, generally, like, you might start, you might be sitting down, but generally once you kind of get going on flame working, it's probably standing up makes a little more sense just because the way that your arms are going to move, uh, that freedom of movement with your arms and... I think a lot of people find that sitting down and doing that kind of work can be a little harder on their body than um, than standing. But um, also plenty of people would prefer to sit down, and uh, that works great too. So... Um, Let's sit down for this. It's nice. Let's relax. We're going to sit down in front of this torch. And um, you can even, like, you can rest your elbows. And so you'll find that you're going to want to lift your elbows. But at first you can rest your elbows. And it's sometimes steadying your arms by resting your elbows is going to help. So... The torch will be between you, uh, between your arms, and then uh, pointing up at about a 45 or maybe a 30-degree angle. So it's not straight up. It, it also can be just straight out, uh, totally horizontal. When the flame gets a little hotter, you might find that having it more straight out is a little easier and a little like having it taller and having more, having it point straight in front of you. Um, but these are just preferences you'll find as you kind of like figure out what it is you're making and why you're making it. Um, but let's start it with a, at a 30 degree angle pointing away from us. And we're going to want some eye protection. And on our eyes, you're going to the standard basic issue is a um, ditinium glasses. It's kind of a rose-colored looking glass. And these ditiniums filter out the orange spectrum of the sodium flare. When the, when the glass is in front of the torch, there's salts that will be burning off. Some of the fluxes that are burning off salts, the sodium flare, will create an orange flame. It's kind of also how you can tell the glass is getting hot as when it starts to flare. 
when you go from room temp up to actual working temp. Right when you first shake the, the glass into the torch, it won't show the flare. And then once you get working, it'll have this orange flame that comes off, and it'll be a brighter orange flame. And somehow, magically, these titanium glasses, this type of... Hey, it's not just the color. It's something to do with the material. Filters out this 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 uh, orange light. And so filtering out this orange light is really, really helpful for being able to see what's going on. The most important thing is having a layer of protection on your eyes. And even just a plastic glasses are going to help with the UV um, that's coming off of those torches and keeping your eyes protected. They're also just going to create a physical barrier in case anything, any glass breaks and pops into your face, uh, into your eyeballs. So at least plastic glasses just to cover and block the, some, some of the UV. And then, um, and I believe it blocks the infrared also from that um, and so those the didiniums are going to be pretty standard just because it just makes it way easier to see it's just not as bright and it makes quite a bit of difference for it to to cut out those um, that sodium flare especially when you get a little bigger it's gets pretty bright um, and so you can also just use a darker glass to cut down um, on that brightness. That is totally like using a shade three welding glasses. Also cut down a bit of that um, bright flare. But if you were just to use a shade three, you kind of are cutting down a you're cutting out so much light, it's hard to see what's going on, um, especially when you're not right in the torch, where if you're, like, when you're brazing using a shade three, you're really, like, all of the work you're doing is within the flame. And when you're doing glass work, you're not doing all of your work inside the flame. You're coming out of the flame, you're in and out of the flame, you're using the flame to help things. But sometimes if you're too lead or you're sticking glass together, you're going to take it out of the flame and you can't see what's going on if you only have a shade three. I mean, you can see what's going on if you have a bright light so that you're well lit. But uh, if you just have the um, didinia, it also can be once you get to really be blasting the glass, it can be a little bit um, not quite enough protection. So a common glass is to have a titanium with a like almost like a bifocal half the bottom half being a shade three and the top half just titanium so that you can look over it. You can put your head down and look over the top and just have the didinium, and then below is didinium and shade three. 
Or you might just have the whole thing be a shade 3 didymium. That's also a pretty good standard issue. Um, those I've found are so dark that if I'm not working right in the flame a lot, I tend to want to look over my glasses, which is also really dangerous. I've got a terrible tendency to put my glasses on my forehead and look over my glasses and not actually use them. So I've actually, in just in standard like hot shop and glass blowing, I just really wear plastic clear glasses so that I always have glasses on my face. Because if I wear sunglasses, dark glasses, I find that to look at things, I, I want to take my glasses off. And so in order to keep the glasses on my face more often, I've switched to just using clear plastic. Um, and because I also lose my glasses all the time, um, I've found cheaper, funkier glasses are better. So they make didinium now in plastic, and so you can buy kind of a cheap pair of plastic didinium glasses um, that are great, and then you can sit them and break them, or you can lose them, and it's okay. But you can also get nice glass ones and larger ones, um, and whichever ones fit you and are more comfortable. Um, I like just I like the plastic ones now because they're really light. Uh, they're not as durable and great, but they also are really light. Um, and that's great. So, we got some titanium glasses. We are wearing, we're wearing cotton clothes because we don't want the glass, the hot glass to land on our polyester outfit and melt through the plastic and melt into our clothes. We've got our hair tied back as we generally do in all sorts of, anytime we're operating any kind of machine, right? Hot, dangerous. Got our hair tied back. Uh, I like to pull the strings. I don't like strings in my sweatshirt. It's those little, like, things that can pull your sweatshirt that are so nice because you can tuck your, your hood around your face and pull it all tight. But... Uh, We'll get rid of those. We don't have dangling things. We don't have a bunch of dangling necklaces and things that could catch fire or get caught on the torch. Uh, suck us into the flame and catch us on fire forever. Um, so, no gloves, hair back, got the torch in front of you, got some glasses on our face. We have a way to ignite the torch, like a little sparker or a lighter, a little electronic lighter apparatus. There's lots of really great little battery-powered sparkers that just work great these days. So we got one of those. Um, we have a way to anneal this glass, like to slow cool it. Um, maybe we have a little oven that is set at 900 degrees. Or uh, if we're just making a bead, we could use um, old school, a crock pot with vermiculite in it. Uh, put a crock pot, you turn it on high, you put vermiculite in there, it's kind of warm. Uh, also, just a coffee can full of vermiculite. Vermiculite is a mineral, and it's like also sometimes just uses like kitty litter. It's less kitty litter standard now, but it used to be more kitty litter standard. 
Um, also, sometimes in um, uses a filler in like a dirt, like in a plant, so that it's like a something. It's a little. It like creates airspace and a water and, a, and absorbs water and isn't to doesn't degrade like an organic material. It doesn't compost. It's so it's a mineral and. Um, The only issue with that is that it, it does create dust. And so there is a dust, and it's potentially not that great of a dust. Um, and so it's just something to think about um, as you create dust in your shop. If you have something like a bucket of vermicelli, and every time you're putting the beets in there, it's making a little bit of dust. But it totally works, and you can make you can anneal your beets very easily in a coffee can full of vermiculite um, or a crock pot with vermiculite. And so now you're going to need some glass and then you're going to need a mandrel for the glass. And the mandrel is a stainless steel rod. Smooth stainless steel rod. And with one end, like you don't really need to taper, but just like take any burr off the end and take it down to a 45 on one end. So it's just a straight, smooth rod that doesn't have a little at the end. Uh, and then whatever size you want the inside of your bead, that's the size of that mandrel. You're going to wrap the metal. You're going to wrap the glass around that metal. So that's going to become the inside of your bead. And then a bead release on that mandrel will allow you to wrap the hot glass onto it but not um, won't stick to the metal because if you just put the hot glass on the metal it stick to the metal and so the mandrel release mandrel release bead release kiln wash is also what it's called kiln wash is a ceramic slip. It's just a. It's just clay. Um, well, gosh, it's uh, EKB is a clay body. It's both unfired clay and fired clay uh, mixed together in a, a, a like a sometimes a one to four ratio of alumina oxide. Um, which, if you just use just clay body, just a just a unfired clay body, then it has a more tendency to shrink. Um, and especially if you get a thick coating, it can crack and such. But um, so you could make some out of. EKP and a clay body and aluminum oxide, or you could just use wet slip clay. You could experiment around with it. You can also just buy bead release for kiln wash. Um, there's a number of different uh, manufacturers of that, and they're really it's pretty common um, stuff. Oftentimes, the bead release will come with a like a color coating in it, stuff. It's like a pink stuff in there. 
so that when you use it, then it will, like, once you get it hot, it will, the color will disappear. Um, so that you can know that if you fired it or not, um, which is helpful, but it's not necessary. And then the kiln wash, and also the kiln wash, I guess it's also a, uh, on the kiln wash, then you'll know if, when you coat your, I think that's where it's most useful, is when you um, use it as a kiln wash and you, and you prep your kiln shelf and then it's got like a pink color and then once you fire it, it's, it's just white and so you know whether it's been fired or not. Um, you'll use this in ceramics and slumping and fusing territory um, where you want to put glass onto a shelf and then put the fire to it, put it in a kiln and then you want to know whether you've used it because sometimes when you're doing really super specific stuff you want to use a new coating of kiln wash every time yeah, you don't really need to you know like let's be honest if you got a good coating of kiln wash and you're careful with it you don't need a new coating every time but sometimes you're going to want to have a new coating if you want to do things like super perfect which, um, you know, maybe you do. I don't know. If you really wanted to think super perfect, you probably wouldn't be listening to me tell you how to do it. Um, so you, mi you mix up your bead release into like a wet slurry, little, you know, a little thinner than a milkshake, and you dip the end of the mandrel in it, you know, maybe two to three inches sort of thing. You get enough so you got a good coating on there. So you can wrap your bead around towards the edge or maybe a couple of beads out there. Um, and then the glass you're going to use, you're going to want to know what coefficient of expansion your glass is, potentially. You don't need to know this because you could not make some glass. You can also just take a, you know, a beer bottle, a Coke bottle, and you could use that to make beads. And that stuff works great, too. It just Then you would just only want to mix it with bottle glass. Potentially, that stuff is coefficient. The coefficient of expansion of bottle glass is 96, and you can mix it. Uh, and it can fit pretty well with a lot of the colors. And also, depending on how you apply the colors and how you heat them, you can get away with some stuff. But you can... If you start mixing random glass, you, it could break. Uh, and that might be something that, that you might want to research, just what is compatible, what's going to fit together, what's going to want to break. Um, if you want to use bottle glass, you can cut your bottle into strips, um, and having a, a strip of glass works good or if you're using like a bullseye sheet glass if you can cut a quarter inch strip and use it and hold it in your hand it's tricky because then you're you're holding a piece of broken glass in your hand um and it's a little trickier but and it's easier if you have a rod of glass the round rods um and they're sold sometimes as cane or you whole cane or um, you can buy glass in these long rods lamp working uh, pretty standard 
and that stuff is going to be you're either getting soft glass or hard glass soft being a little lower melting temp and a little um, less heat resistant and hard being borosilicate glass for bead making soft glass is great boro is generally just so heat resistant it's better for making um, pipes and bong apparatuses but also there's lots of great colors these days and it's also a little because of its heat resistance it's a little more forgiving on the torch um it's a little you have to get a little hotter and it's a little trickier but generally when you're in that tiny little flame and the candles of those flames supposedly right at the tip of those candles the flame is actually around six thousand degrees um so you got plenty of heat in those things um in that little plasma moment of those candles Got plenty of heat uh, for boro or soft glass. Um, the soft glass is just going to be a little. You're gonna. It's going to be easier to bring in that heat, and the glass is going to get a little softer and gooier. It's going to want to pop and break more often, but it's going to be a little bit easier to use. Uh, if you're buying old school style of flame working glass, would be Moretti, which is the Italian version of soft glass was and is 104 COE and part of that is just because it's a little gooier it's a little easier to make a 104 and the colors like the colors of Moretti are just brighter and better and it's probably because they have gnarly chemicals in it and the COE being a little higher, they're just a little softer. Um, I'm not sure why we went to 96. I've heard that it had to do with just that our industry standard when the industry started growing was bottle glass and window glass, which is closer to 96. And so that that was more of what was available here, was that as a clear base. And so we were using that, using marbles window glass to create our base glass and then from there we grew our industry of color glass and the stuff like the, the rods of glass that we used the button making the bars were a little lower so they were 96 because they're also they don't need to be as soft and gooey and Moretti 104 it just has like a longer working temp and it's just really designed to be worked but those are all just that's all hearsay those are just shop rumors um, so you'll find your own find your own truth in that one um, but if you got 104, you got some really bright colors and it's really beautiful. Just be careful to, to when you're mixing it with 96 that you're might want to break, especially if you're layering like you know 96 to 104 to 96. You're gonna probably get some breaking. You might be able to get away with a little bit of 104 on top. 
you also might be able to use a lead clear base over that, something really soft, something really gooey on top to kind of seal everything in. Um, but you might also do that, the whole thing might break. Um, you'll get used to the glass all breaking. That'll be part of what you're going to want to find out about when you're hot working glass. You're going to want to get used to it breaking um, in all sorts of amazing ways. You get to see it and you know, break and fracture and blow up and do really exciting things right in front of your face. So um, you got your mandrel. Got some bead release on there. And why don't you hold that in your left hand? And then in your right hand, why don't you hold the rod of glass? Let's just say we've got a rod of let's do something easy. Let's get a let's get a blue. Let's get a cobalt transparent blue. Uh, that's an easy color to work. And generally, as long as it's not a high silver content, it's going to be uh, easier to use to melt and not kind of oxidize as much. Uh, the flame setting, you know, if we went back to the Venturi burner, like a Venturi burner is going to be like a little, like a propane or a map gas, like a plumber's torch sometimes they're referred to, that's just like the head that screws on to the little tank. Those can work great for this soft glass and for making beads, and you totally can make beads on those things. The only thing is that certain colors are really going to um, get gummed up by a reduction. You're going to get like a reddish, kind of rust-colored-looking um, reduction on some of your glass, especially yellows and some whites and there's blues that do it and um, so that where you have a venturi and you don't have enough oxygen you have a kind of reducing flame that can discolor your glass um, if you have a high oxygen flame it generally you're going to get like a little hotter zone right in the center of where it's burning but you'll actually be cooler around the outside and you have a less like you have a a wider fluffier flame with less oxygen uh, when you're using a venturi or a less oxygen and so you really could do this all just with the propane torch um but i did start you off with the nortel minor burner so we'll just stick with that one um and so we're going to turn on our flame uh, by lighting up our oxygen, or sorry, by lighting up our propane first. Um, and so you just turn the propane on and use a little sparker and put it right next to the torch head to catch that flame. Propane sinks. So if you're trying to get it to light, putting the sparker below the torch will help. Um, uh, the tendency is to kind of go above it, but actually because it only starts rising when you get it, the flame going, but otherwise it's all sinking. Uh, and so put your sparker there in front or right below the head of the torch and then 
uh, turn on your oxygen and get a get a bushy little flame going, uh, and then slowly introduce your oxygen. And you'll watch those candles kind of form and then tighten up. And if you were to crank your oxygen all the way up until you turn until it popped and it turned off the flame, that would kind of, that's kind of your limits. It's like from this big bushy flame to then pulling it into a tight hissing, the sound of a thousand snakes hissing. Um, with those candles at a quarter inch length, you hear the hissing. You've got a nice blue flame but it's not really overly loud and it's not in danger of popping and turning off. Um, if you want to bring the glass into the flame, you can start with a way less oxygen flame, an actual kind of soot, a flame that would be a little bit sooty. Uh, you could start with it there. A trick of flame working is to Bring your object into that sooty flame, make it all sooty, covered in soot. And when that soot starts to glow red, then you've about got the heat on the surface of the glass. And so then you can turn the flame up a little bit and burn that soot off. It, it works. It's a great trick. It's a cool trick, and it looks cool. Um, you can also just slowly bring your glass in. It doesn't, there's no magic to it. It only just has a visual that kind of gives you a place to reference, um, which at times can be really helpful. Visuals are always good. So with the mandrel and with this small amount of glass, you're not going to have to worry as much about bringing it into the flame. So let's just set our oxygen and propane at the flame we want to use. We'll bring our candles down, turn on our propane, light it, slowly introduce the oxygen, bring in the oxygen so that we have little candles off the head of our flame. You can hear the hiss of the oxygen. And then holding the glass rod about 12 to 14 inches from the flame. You can kind of feather it into the flame. You can go back and forth, or you can just hold it a little ways out there and just slowly turn it. And just kind of imagine you, you're you so far away from the flame, you can't even see the flame where you are. And you're just starting to heat just the tip of that glass. And you've at this point, you're elevating your elbows, and you've got your arms straight out so that you're not exposing yourself to the heat. You're not pointing up into the heat and you're not in danger of getting yourself a burn. Uh, that burn, that torch will give you a third degree burn. If you touch those candles, you don't, you can't just pass your hand through it. You will get a third degree burn immediately. Uh, so try to avoid doing that. It's tiny. It's not that dangerous, but the little part of it that is dangerous is incredibly dangerous. And so you're rotating the glass, just the end of that rod, out there 12 to 14 inches from that flame, uh, and slowly rotating it. And this is the part that if it was going to pop and you're going to have get 
sharp glass in your eye, that this would be where you'd want to be aware of that and not get, um, make sure you have your glasses on and um, just be aware of the glasses you bring it in. But if you bring it in far enough out there and slowly introducing it, it's not going to pop. It's not going to break. And it's blue, so it actually isn't going to break at all. It's totally fine. It's transparent blue. It's not going to blow up. Um, if it was a red or a white, that it might be, there might be some real, little cracking that would happen. Um, but we've got this nice transparent blue, and we're just going to slowly bring it into the flame. And you're starting to see some of that sodium flare. Wearing your didiniums, you can't see that sodium flare, but you can peek and you can look and see, and you can see that sodium flare. Or you could also start watching the surface of the glass, and you'll start to see it have a little bit of a red color. And so now you're going to bring it down into the flame. And now you're about two or three inches away from the candles, kind of in the heat zone of that glass, not right up against those candles, um, because you want to make sure that you're, if you're too close to it, the, the heat zone is just too specific up in there. There's times where you're going to be that close, but right now we're trying to get a nice little even flame around that glass and it's going to we're going to start to gather up a ball of glass on the end of that rod the gathering is by turning the glass the turning the rod the glass will naturally sh shape itself into a sphere and if you were to just continue to heat it and turn evenly you could and keep it in that flame zone you could just create as large of an object as you could turn. You could make a marble that was very large, as big as the heat could handle, and as big as the glass that you could feed in. The glass that you are gathering onto that ball is the glass that's on the rod. And so as you feed it onto there, into the flame, um, it gathers from the cold rod onto this little marble and you're making. Um, and so you're going to make a little ball of glass and it's going to be, you know, the size of, you know, three-eighths or a half-inch around ball on the end of this rod. And then with your other hand, you're going to bring the mandrel into the flame and you can just bring the mandrel right into the flame above behind the marble and get a little bit of heat on the place where you want to wrap the bead around and say your uh, the inch two inches away from there and you might be able to actually see a little glow of heat on that uh, on the mantle right where you're applying the heat um, and now we're going to get ready to wrap that glass that hot glass around the mantle but look, I'm just pulling up to work now, so I'm going to have to wait a second to describe to you how to wrap 
that mandrel. How to wrap the hot glass around the mandrel. So you're not going to have to wait very long because I'm going to pause the recording. You won't have to wait all day, but I'm going to wait all day until I finish telling you this important part. So I'll talk to you in a minute, okay? Okay, I'm back. Um, sorry about the little break. I hope you had a good nap. Um, I just think I gather, did about 150 gathers out of a 400-pound furnace. Uh, so I've been thinking about the speed and how we're going to get the glass onto the mantle and how to describe this. So hopefully I got this. Um, you've got the glass heated, and if you wanted to kind of replicate this in with cold object, you could use a chopstick sort of size stick, get a chopstick, and dip the end in honey, just put it in there about a half inch and turn it around, and try to get it kind of like a Q-tip shape at the end. And that's kind of what you're going to end up with uh, <clears throat> if you hold the glass in the flame. Get enough glass on the end of your glass rod to make your bead. You're going to drop all of this hot glass onto the mandrel. And the move will be that you've got the glass in the flame and the mandrel is behind it in the flame and warm and you'll see a little color on the kiln wash on that beautiful it's like it'll if you get it really smoking red it's too hot but if you see just a little orange like on there you've got the right heat on the mandrel you don't want it cold you want to be able to stick you want it too hot and you're gonna stick that bead release on the inside of your bead. You might even not want to see any color, but you want to make sure it's warm enough it's going to stick. And then, so you're, you're preheating the mandrel behind the glass, and then you are going to drop them both right below the flame. I like to go below the flame when I'm coming out of the flame so that my hands aren't I don't accidentally stick my hand in the flame and so that I can come up into the flame and see when and apply the flame to something be able to see it rather than being above the flame uh, I can still see the flame and maybe I'm going to drop below the flame and a little to the side so that I'm not looking right through the flame but um, so you're going to come out of the flame below the flame and you're going to stop turning with the glass rod and you're going to start turning with the mandrel. And you're going to gently dot that hot glass onto the mandrel. Just a tiny touch. And if you spooge the whole thing on there, um, you'll have too big of a touchdown. And it'll end up showing on the center of the bead. You'll have kind of a sharp spot in the middle of the bead. And if you're able to touch just a tiny little bit, like a uh, you know eighth inch, sixteenth inch diameter dot, you want to touch it, but don't pull back too far. 
you just want to touch it and then pull up a little bit um, and then you pull up and you start to wrap that hot glass around the mandrel evenly. So you're turning that blob that was on the end of your glass rod into a drawn out, you know, about an eighth inch in diameter, um, maybe a little bigger, maybe three sixteenths diameter, drawn out bit of glass and wrap it around and then if your heat is just right and you're right and you've got enough heat then you can you're bringing it in as you come back around and you finish getting the glass onto the rod um then you've got Finish getting the glass onto the rod. Um, then you are bringing it back into the flame and peeling off that bit of glass from the top using the flame and the heat of the glass that's already applied. Maybe you've gone around twice. Maybe you're able to just get that wrapped around one time and then you peel it off and then you're already into the flame there. And you might have a totally even wrap. You might have a little bit of an uneven wrap. And here's where, again, you just stay on the flame, and that little bit of heat is going to even up your beat and make an even, um, even looking bead. If, you, if your touchdown area was too big and you pull back and you didn't have enough touchdown on part of it, that will show also that um, part of what you're doing in that application process is creating the base of the bead. And if you are even with your touchdown and wrap, then you will have an even um, an even bead. And if you didn't touch down even light, it won't be. You can kind of get away with an uneven wrap if the area that touches the mandrel is even. If that surface area touching the mandrel is the same all the way around, the glass as a liquid, as you put it into the heat and turn it, it'll kind of gather evenly around there. If your touchdown is uneven, that's where the bead will kind of be lopsided. I mean, it's pretty easy to make a lopsided bead. Um, but with some practice, you can get that bead to drop on there, that wrap to drop on there evenly, and wrap around evenly, and then putting it back in the heat will make a really nice even bead. Um, very satisfying. I really love making those little beads. So then you're done with that. You got a nice little blue bead. You could put some little dots on there. You could start decorating it. You could twist it and curl it. You could make it into some other shapes. But now you've got the base for making a single round even bead. And 
there's some other techniques we're going to talk about later. More different flame working techniques, more different kinds of beads, and maybe also maybe some hollow things. Maybe we can pull some points and make a hollow object. Um, maybe a bong or pipe. Maybe a spoon. That would be fun. Um, the spoon, like a, a weed smoking spoon. They call those little pipes spoons. We could also make a glass, regular old spoon for eating cereal. But, you know, I think it's important if you're going to be a flame worker, you really got to make some spoons. Uh, it's like the American goblet. Well, um, I think that's really it. I just wanted to finish up our conversation about applying a bead. Glad I got to think about that all day. Um, hope it wasn't gone too long. Hope you had a good nap. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here with me. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a phone call about some glass color. I need to order some glass color for an artist coming to town. I need to order a bunch of color for them. So okay, call the glass people. Talk to them about glass color. I hope you're having a great time. I hope you're having a great nap. Love you a lot. Talk to you soon. Please send a message. Bye for now.